Good morning again. It's so good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. And it's our greatest desire and prayers to see that you're blessed this morning and encouraged in your walk and faith with the Lord. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we continue the series on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, and it says this, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, at first, when you read this particular scripture, it looks like you have just handed ammunition to those who accuse the Bible of being old-fashioned, irrelevant, and maybe even outright suicidal. <laughs> because, you know, who wants to live in, in this world today and be gentle, right? That seems to be the thought. At first, it sounds like Christians are to live out some kind of a death wish in a world where it is the survival of the ruthless and the untamed, where bullying and bashing is the order of the day. You hear all kinds of articles, don't you, in the paper about increases of incidents of bullying among students and among people uh, in the workplace. And so it just seems like it's getting worse and worse. Everyone knows the world's mottos that uh, have come across to uh, have come to our attention here and there. For example, how many of you remember this one? Nice guys finish last. If they finish at all. <laughs> okay? That's one. Nice guys finish last. Or how about this one? This was given by Nitschke, who was a, is a famous world philosopher, and he said, "Assert yourself. It is the arrogant who take the earth. Wow, that's a pretty arrogant statement, right? But he said it. And then there's always this one. Let the Christians inherit heaven while we who are strong take the earth. Oh, doesn't that sound forceful? Doesn't that sound forceful? Sounds convincing, doesn't it? But these are the kinds of mottos that this world marches to. And so if when Christians hear this, they just sort of, oh my, oh my goodness, you know, what are we facing now? And so maybe perhaps as a believer in Jesus Christ, you say to yourself, but Jesus just said, blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. And you, you know, this is reason to be discouraged. This is reason to be depressed. <laughs> you know, we're not going to get anywhere in this world if we live by this. But I invite you this morning to examine what Christ meant by gentle and what he meant by they will inherit the earth. In other words, what does Christ mean to be biblically gentle and where can it all lead us? You see, that should be of the utmost importance. The fact that the world lives one way and the fact that the Bible tells us to live a different way is almost immaterial. Because we must choose the way that God wants us to live, no matter how the world chooses to live. And so, this is why this subject becomes very important. Now, to help us understand this, we have to go back and just review very quickly the Sermon on the Mount. If we don't, the things that we hear are going to be really, you know, baffling to us. They're going to seem to us to be total nonsense. They're going to seem to us to not make any sense whatsoever. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's helpful to know that Christ emphasizes who a person is over what a person does. 
Now, this doesn't mean that what we do is not important to God. Okay? It is. But God wants us to do it for the right reasons. He wants us to do it with the right motivations of our heart. Okay? He doesn't want us to just do it to be doing it. He emphasizes the internal over the external. Why is this so important? Because at the time that Jesus was preaching this, the religious leaders in Jerusalem had created an elaborate system that was based entirely upon the externals, totally upon the appearance. You didn't have to be righteous. You just had to look righteous, okay? So you dressed the proper way. If you sort of said the appropriate things, everybody would say, oh, what a righteous person. Oh, what a holy person. And Jesus cut right through that. He said, no. He said, what's important is what is in your heart, what, how you really feel, how you, who the person you really are. And he said he was getting down to the really important matters. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, using the word blessed, which means happy, Jesus lays down the kind of character a devoted disciple of Christ should have in order to achieve true happiness. Well, what's true happiness? True happiness is not dependent on external circumstances. Okay? This is what he's driving for. He's driving for that kind of happiness in our heart, this kind of joy in our heart. Whether... The, we have enough money, whether we have enough cars, whether we have enough HDBs, whether we have enough condos, whether we have enough bungalows, whether we have enough good investments, all of that kind of stuff, immaterial. We are still happy in our heart because we are right with God. That's what he's trying to strive for. And so in verse 3, he starts us by saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Meaning, happiness... Uh, is achieved when a person's pride is broken and that person realizes that they are totally helpless and dependent upon God. Wow. So are you trying to say that what Jesus was, was saying to us is that we can't be blessed until we are broken? That's right. That's right. We cannot be blessed until we are broken. Broken of this, this independent self-will spirit. That says we can do everything and God has nothing to do with it. You see? And so that's where it starts. Then in verse 4, he follows up with this. Blessed are those who mourn. And meaning deep sorrow over sin in their own personal lives and in the lives of others around them. A kind of sorrow that leads to genuine repentance. Okay? In other words, it's not just a matter of us all of a sudden waking up one day and feeling, oh, I'm so sorry I sinned. I'm so sorry I offended you, God, you know, and that's it. But it is such a deep sorrow. It is such a deep concern over our sin that we turn around and we say we confess it and we turn away from it. We don't return to it. We don't repeat it, you see. And that's the difference. That's the difference. See, most of us are content with just being sad about our sins rather than sorrowful to the point that we want to abandon it. We want to turn uh, totally away from it. <clears throat> just like the two attitudes for true happiness, when Christ tells us to be gentle, there is more to this than as first meets the eye. And so that's what's before us today. If you are up for a challenge and willing to follow Christ unreservedly, then this message is for you. 
this message is for you. And so I hope that you will listen intently as God begins to reveal this to us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Now, what does Christ mean by gentle? What is biblical gentleness? All right, this is important. The first thing is, in some English translations, the same Greek word is translated meek or humble. Okay? Now, what is the first picture that comes into your mind when you hear the word meek, humble, gentle? Okay? Suppose someone came up to you and said, oh, you are really a very gentle person. Is that a positive comment or is that a negative comment? You see? In many cultures of the world, world, the word meek or humble carries a negative meaning, okay? Oftentimes, it is taken to describe a person as being mild, submissive, and compliant, okay? That's how the word is sometimes used. Oh, you are a very meek person, you know? <laughs> meek person? I'm not a meek person, you know? We'd rather not be called meek, Right? And then it describes often a person without spirit, without courage. Or from my part of the world, they would say, no backbone. No backbone. (laughs) This is a person who is meek, okay? This person is ripe to be walked over. This person is ripe to be stomped on, to be taken advantage of, to be maneuvered any which way that we want them to be moved because they just don't speak up. They just don't, you know, fight back, that kind of thing. That's oftentimes the negative meaning that's associated with these words. But the Greek word that is used here has a very positive meaning. Biblical gentleness and meekness is not weakness. Okay, I want you to write that down if you, if you have some place to write that. Biblical gentleness and meekness is not weakness. Now, how do we know that? Well, the way the word is used, it often describes a person who is calm, who is steady, who is balanced. It is a person who is free of a vengeful spirit. It describes a person who does get angry but only over the right things at the right time. You see? Now, you begin to get a rhythm here, and you begin to say, whoa, well, you know, being called gentle then, in the biblical sense, is not that bad. In fact, it might be even a strength. Exactly, exactly. It speaks of power under control. It means, it describes a person who has courage, has convictions, but They are under control at all times. Sometimes it's helpful to look back and see how this this word is used. In Greek literature, this word was often used to describe horses, uh, wild horses that are trained and under control. Okay? Under control. Let Let me give you an example of this. Back in Texas, near my home, there's a farm. And on this farm... They make some very famous Texas sausages, okay? They're very famous. And so this Texas sausage are so famous that they are often asked to uh, appear at various parades, okay? So whenever there's a parade, you'll see this Owen sausage uh, uh, carriage that comes. It's a beautiful carriage, and it's a carriage, and it's red and has beautiful lettering and everything. But what is pulling the carriage 
are these gigantic horses. Okay, these gigantic horses. So I took my kids over to this Owens farm, and we went to visit the uh, horses, okay, that pull these, uh, the, pull the carriage. And we were not prepared, okay. We had seen them from a distance, you know, uh, watching them parade, but it's nothing like being next to them. So my kids at that time were about this tall, okay. They were about this tall. We went to see the horses, and our kids probably came up to their knee. <laughs> these horses were huge. They were between 3,000 and 2,000 pounds, okay, two to three tons. They're huge. They're just gigantic, okay. If they had a horse, he'd probably, his head is like up here, okay. And so the guide that took us around explained to us that these are special horses. They are Belgian war horses, Belgian war horses. Now, you say, I've never been to Belgium. I don't know what a Belgian war horse is. A Belgian war horse was the animal that the knights rode in their crusades and that they used in battle. Remember the knights? You know, they would be dressed in their armor and they'd have these gigantic horses that they would ride on and they would charge the enemy. And because of their size and their power and their fierceness, they would just destroy the enemy in front of them. Okay? But... The guide said, go ahead. Your children can pet them. You're, you, know, and, you know, we were just intimidated, okay? And so I picked up my child and my, my daughter would just kind of stroke them, you know. And, and these horses were so gentle, so gentle. It was hard to believe that these were bred for war and that they could be fierce. They are power under control, you see. Power under control. And this is the same kind of image that is given for believers. Being gentle means you have convictions, you have courage, you, you have power, but you have it all under control. And this is what the scripture is trying to convey to us. This character trait affects many key relationships in our lives. In other words, it's a very important character trait for though all of us who wish to be devoted disciples of Jesus Christ and not mere followers in name, okay, in name. There are many people who would claim to be, I'm a disciple of Christ, but they're not very serious when it comes to really being a disciple of Christ. It's just sort of skin deep. But a true disciple of Christ has this characteristic, has this character trait. They are gentle. And this is helpful in our relationship to God. How do we know this? Well, when you go and explore the scriptures and you begin to see how God wants us to live in this world, you begin to realize very quickly that it's not going to be easy. You realize very quickly that this gentle and meek spirit could be very helpful. For example, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12, we read these verses. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, which is to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power 
according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all gentleness and steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Wow. God really expects this of us? Oh, yes, he does. He fully expects this. Mean to really please him in all aspects, bearing fruit in every good work, being steadfast and patient in every situation? Yes, he does. The gentle spirit, convictions and courage under control will serve us well, will serve us well in obeying the Lord. To live this way, we will need to be meek and humble before God and his will. Therefore, we accept and obey God's without resistance or rebellion. And so we live with a passion of courage and confidence. Living life God's way is far from easy. Being meek or humble or gentle helps us to do so. So that's one relationship. What's another relationship? It's our relationship with other people, especially those who come at us aggressively, critically, and unrelentingly. You know, in the first service, I, I described this, and a lot of people were going, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Preach it, pastor. You know, they didn't say that, but that's what they meant, you know. And so what they were saying was, I have a few of those people in my life. I have a few of those people who will come right at me, and they'll do everything they can to make my life miserable. And so they, 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 they can identify with this. Well, being gentle will help. When provoked, insulted, or injured by someone, you remain calm, courageous, undaunted, and brave in the face of accusations and criticism. You know, some people would say to themselves, well, you know, that, that's an impossible, that's an impossibility. If I live that way in front of my coworkers, if I live that way in front of my classmates, if I live that way in front of my spouse, this is not going to work. It's going to result in disaster. This will result in disaster. No, not necessarily, and it won't. Christ has described, is described as being one of the meekest peace persons on the earth, Matthew chapter 11. Yet he dared to confront the corrupt religious system of the day. He dealt with the money changers in the temple area. He responded to unrighteous behavior and practices in Matthew chapter 21. He spoke out against the religious establishment of the day who said one thing and did the opposite. He was a pretty brave guy. He was a pretty brave guy. And as he did this, he always remained calm and cool and collected. How do we know this? Well, look what happened in those final days as he stood before his uh, illegal trial. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore... Uh, verse 23, that was where it ended there. He left us an example of what it is to live gently, to live humbly, to live meekly, 
He had courage. He had convictions. But he was always under control. That was the point. Let me ask you a question. How do you and I normally react when people accuse us or criticize us? Do we respond by resenting them and retaliating against them? Christ responded to his critics with courage, calmness, and confidence in his heavenly Father. This is biblical gentleness. This is biblical gentleness. This is what he meant by that. But where does this all get us? Where did, when Christ said this, what did, he have in, what did he have in mind? What does it get us? Where does it lead us? Look at verse 5 again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. They will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. Now, at first when you hear that, they will inherit the earth, you say to yourself, hmm, what might that mean? Well, it probably speaks of a future time when Christ will come back to the earth and he'll rule. He'll actually rule the earth. And we will rule with him. Okay? It speaks at that time. It says we will inherit the earth. In other words, we will win. And so what does this ha- what kind of uh, uh, comfort does this bring us in the present? It brings us this, is that in, we have peace in our hearts. We can live as gentle people. Why? Because ultimately we win. We will ultimately be rewarded. Now, where does this come into play? See, some of us are so intent on winning the battle, we can lose the war. You understand what I'm saying? The wars are won by several battles, right? Key battles. But we are so intent on winning a battle, we lose the war. And what God is saying to us who choose to live gently as God wants us to live, is that we are going to have to lose some of the battles, but we are going to win the war. We're going to win the war. Now, let me give you this example. I I used to play sports, okay, many, many years ago when the Earth's crust was still cooling off, okay? I I, 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 I even got so much as to even play American football, okay? And so usually my, my, my lot was to play against guys who were much bigger and, and I'd like to think not as smart as me. But what happened was that I would face these guys, all right? And during the course of a game, you know, there's many, you know, scrimmages. There are many plays that are called. And so what happens is, you know, during the course of the game, I'd let these, some of these guys beat me. I, I'd let them get by me. I, I would let them, you know, overpower me, things like this. And so what happens is that during the course of the game, they begin to build up the sense of confidence, you know. They would begin to feel like, oh, I, I got this guy. I got this guy's number, you know. I'm, I can do anything I want with him, you know. And, and they would think that. And I would do this, I would do this uh, uh, oftentimes, you know, during the inconsequential plays, when it, it, you know, like when it was fourth down and 30 yards to go or something like that. And, and, and so there was no hope to, to win the play. There was no hope of, you know, achieving anything meaningful. But then when the plays got really serious, we got down to the goal line and stuff like that, we got, we got down where we got serious business, then I would buckle down. I would buckle down, and I wouldn't let that guy in. I would not let that guy in, you see, because I was okay with losing the battle, but I was wanting to win the war. I wanted to win the game, you see. And so some of us here in this room, we allow ourselves the temptation to say we have to win every battle, 
But in the end, we lose the war, you see. And God's saying to us, hey, you already won the war. You already won the game. Yes, you're going to lose some battles along the way. You're going to lose faith sometimes. Sometimes you're going to have to give in. And sometimes you're going to have to just back away and not get your way. It's okay. Because in the end, you will inherit the earth. You see, that's the comfort. And so this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He says, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. We will be pleasing God. We will celebrate with God in the ultimate victory. Those who develop and cultivate this beatitude will be blessed. Well, that brings us then to the point. How does one become biblically gentle? How does one live out this biblical gentleness in their life? Okay? Well, to start, we have to work on beatitudes number one and number two. (laughs) There's a reason why there's a number one, number two, and number three. Okay? And so what is it? Okay, remember beatitude number one is blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who are broken in their spirit, who know that they are dependent upon God. Number two, the beatitude was those who mourn over their sin to the point of repentance. And so we cannot be blessed until we are broken. We cannot be happy until we are sad. Okay? But when we get to that point, when we get to that point, we're ready to progress to being gentle to being courageous and people of conviction, but under control, you see? That's when the, that's the uh, prize, that's the caveat. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Can God deliver? Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time. You see? We are so worried. We're so worried. We're so confused. You know, we just can't, can't, can't. We can't give in. We just can't give in, you know. We just have to have our say and all this kind of stuff. God says, no, trust God. He'll exalt you at the right time. This can happen in our marriages. It can happen in our classrooms. It can happen in our schools. It can happen in our workplaces. It can happen everywhere if we're willing to trust the Lord. Well, still, maybe perhaps it'd be helpful we took some specific steps then to become gentle. What would they be? So our attitudes are in the right direction. Our hearts are broken before the Lord. We know that we can't get to square, we can't get past square one until we depend upon the Lord. But then there's some specific things we can do. First of all, see, commit yourself to the goal of becoming biblically meek and gentle. Okay, Psalms 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will do it. You see, it starts on the inside. It starts on the inside. If you're not willing to obey the Lord, and in this case, be gentle, biblically gentle, why go any further? There's no reason. There's no reason. Discussion over. Okay, nothing is going to happen. Nada. Okay, it's not going to happen, but we have to commit our way unto the Lord. It comes to a point where we have to say, Lord, 
I want so much to please you. Lord, I want to be this gentle person you're talking about. Please work it out in my life. It starts with commitment. So commit yourself to the goal of becoming biblically meek and gentle. Number two, seek to be more under control. Sometimes this whole matter of control, we don't take too much stock in it. Okay, We, we don't think it's that important. But listen to the scriptures and look at the description of a person who's not in control. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. You know, in the economy of God, what he says is the guy who loses his control, the guy who's angry all the time, the guy who's given to outbursts, the guy who just has to run over people at every, every you know, step of the way, he says this person is vulnerable. This person uh, is not as strong as the person who is slow to anger. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. This person is like a city that is vulnerable. He is vulnerable. You see, sometimes yeah, I, 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 get, I, I am so tempted to get angry with people because I think if I just get angry enough, they'll see my point, they'll go my way, and, you know, they'll comply. But you know what it does? It really makes me vulnerable. It makes me vulnerable to criticism. It makes me vulnerable to not displaying the character of Christ. It really subjects my own arguments to even more scrutiny than they would get otherwise. You see? And so we become vulnerable when we are like that. It exposes our weaknesses. It exposes our insecurities. It exposes our lack of thought and so on and so forth. This quote was written by a person talking about this uh, uh, lack of control. And he says, an unbroken colt is useless. Medicine that is too strong cannot be used. Wind that is too powerful destroys. So on the one hand, we think if I'm just a little more forceful... I can make this thing happen. And what the Bible says is that, hey, you might actually be putting yourself at great jeopardy. You might be putting yourself in in a bad spot. By God's grace and help, you and I can make progress to be more under control. Well, you say to yourself, I'm not convinced. I Maybe you say to yourself, I've lived many years and I've always had this temper problem. I've, I've always had this, uh, 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 this, this way about me where I, 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 I lose control and, I, I, and I, I bowl over people and things like that. You know, it's just the way I am. You've got to take me like I am. No, not really. Not really. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Listen to the Apostle Paul, who I personally think really had to be a person under control, okay? I mean, he had all the credentials. He was smart, he was able, he had power, he had position, he had all of those things. But when you listen to him and you read his readings and you listen to his arguments and uh, communication with people, you realize that there was something different about him. He was always in control. Look at verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the re- of the revelations... For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. 
Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, and with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The grace of God. The grace of God. I'm not picking on any particular group of people. If anybody, I'm probably picking on myself. But as a father and as a parent, perhaps it's really easy, perhaps expected, perhaps it's acceptable for me to be angry with my parent, with my children, and to really wreak havoc upon them and their lives and be justifiable, be justified in doing it. But you know, God says, be gentle, be gentle, be in control. And I cannot, I cannot as a parent say, well, it's just the way I am. Accept me. Too bad. That's the way it is. Because God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And so you don't have to be a parent. You can be a supervisor at work. You can be a teacher. You can be a professor. You can be a person in authority. But are you in control? You see? Are you in control? Do you have... Power under control. So, the idea then is to commit yourself to becoming biblically gentle and then seek to be under, uh, be under control by God's grace. Now, the third thing is I. Notice there's a C, there's a S, and the last one's an I. Incorporate gentle attitudes in your dealings with people. Oh, what kind of people? What, what, what kind of people do, do, do what I run across that I should be gentle with? Okay, if you look at Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. So basically, he's saying for those in authority. And guess what? Every one of us here in this room is under authority to someone, if not ultimately to God. But we are to be gentle. We are to be gentle. Another group of people show meekness or gentleness to those who have sinned or are presently sinning. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Wow. Wow. So that means people who are not doing things that God wants them to do, I don't go up there and just clobber them over the head. I don't just go over there and just start spouting off Bible verses. I don't just send them to hell and all this kind of stuff. No, you don't. No, you don't. You deal with them gently. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to 26. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by them to do his will. Guess what? There are people around us who... 
maybe for whatever reason, they don't have the same level of knowledge or experience we have with God. We've got to be gentle with them. We've got to be patient with them. Number three, show meekness to those who need to receive Christ as their Savior. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. You know, what is effective evangelism? Effective evangelism is dealing with people with gentleness and reverence. You see, if we go in there and we try to share Christ with them and we start telling people you're dumb, you're stupid, you're sinful, you're dirty, you're rotten, and all of this kind of stuff, and we show no reverence, we show no gentleness with them, what's their reaction? Their reaction is to be expected. Get away from me. Get away from me. I don't want to hear any of this. You see? So with those people who have not yet accepted Christ. And then there's a fourth one. It's not in your outline, but maybe it's a good that it isn't so that you'll write this down. Show meekness to those who have accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Oh, my. Oh, my. People in authority, people who have not yet accepted Christ, people who are locked in sin, people who have accepted Christ. Which one of those four groups is probably the hardest? You be the judge. But I personally think the fourth one is. <laughs> I think the fourth one is. Just us getting along with one another is probably one of the hardest things on the face of this earth. Today in a world that, that where there is no truth, there is no meaning there is no right or wrong, where everyone does what is right in their own sight, devoted disciples of Christ need to have courage, conviction, and control more than ever before. Now, please, mark this down. Courage and conviction without control results in conflict and confusion. While courage and conviction with control can result in conversion and transformation. Wow. Wow. That's the promise of God. That's the promise of God. Christ tells us to be gentle in character and conduct, to be submissive and obedient to God's will and gentle in our dealings with others. But you know, still, there's probably a great majority of us out here today who are still very reluctant and hesitant to be gentle, even biblically gentle. It just goes against our nature. We don't want to do that. The Bible uses this word, of being gentle, meek, and humble, of three people in the Bible for sure. Who are those three? Moses, David, and Christ himself. We talked about Christ earlier. If you think 
that a gentle person cannot accomplish anything on the face of this earth. Look at Moses. What did Moses do? What did Moses do? Well, in the face of injustice, he stood up to to an abusive Egyptian soldier. He stood up to the mighty Pharaoh himself. He led 2.5 million people through the wilderness for 40 years. He brought his people to the doorstep of the promised land. I would say this gentle guy did quite a bit. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. (laughs) Who says? Who says that the meek and humble and gentle don't get anything done? I dare say that the scripture begs to differ and presents us living examples of those who've accomplished a lot. The question today, is there a Moses in this audience today? (laughs) Somebody said, me? (laughs) Is there a Moses in this audience today? Well, we can all hope so. Right? We can all sit here and say, well, I hope so. I hope one of them will jump up. (laughs) We can all pray so, right? We can all go agree we're going to go out of this place and we're all going to pray to God. Say, oh, God, give us a Moses today to stand up among us and help us do this and do that. We can pray so. But guess what? Only you can be so. Only you can be so. I can't make you a Moses. God can. I can't make you a David. But God can. I can't make you be more like Christ. But God can. If you will let him. If you will let him. Let's pray. Father in heaven... Thank you for speaking to us through your word. Help us to find real happiness. Happiness that is not dependent upon outward circumstances, but is ingrained within us as your people. Help us to be a gentle people. People of courage, people of conviction, but people under control. Thank you, Father for not forsaking us or leaving us, but leaving us your grace, which is sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen.